Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional, independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitor is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance program, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. This week's episode, we look at two significant proposed GDPR fines out of uh, the United Kingdom. Matthew Stevenson asked, why do FCPA resolutions take so long and uses the Walmart case as a starting point for an exploration of this? Jay Rosen begins a five-part series on suspension and disbarment over on Corporate Compliance Insights. We take a look at what finance professionals can learn from compliance, or rather about compliance, from recent corporate scandals. Deutsche Bank is now under scrutiny for its role in the 1MDB scandal. Why, what is data maintenance and why is it so critical? CCOs and DNO coverage and the Caremark decision is alive and well. These are some of the uh, top stories we take a look at on this week in FCPA. For the week ending July 12, 2019, the halfway to Take It Back edition. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and now a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, along with Mr. Monitor himself, Jay Rosen, for This Week in FCPA, episode 162 for the week ending July 12, 2019, the halfway to take it back. Jay, the All-Star game has come and gone, and the Astros are halfway back to returning the World Series trophy to its rightful station, Houston, Texas. But we had an interesting FCPA, Compliance, Ethics, and Other Stories Week. So, going to jump right into it? Yep. Why don't you tell us about the GDPR doings from the other side of the pond? Right. We had... uh, Some very interesting GDPR proposed fines come out uh, this past week. First up was the proposed fine against British Airways for its uh, data breach, which they at least announced in September of 2018. It's approximately $230 million fine. And then uh, two days later, the ICO announced, um, and that's the Information Commissioner's Office, who investigates and enforces GDPR in the United Kingdom, a proposed um, $99 million or million pound fine, which is about, I think, about a $140 million fine against Marriott. So um, the interesting thing, of course, about Marriott is it's not a U.K. corporation. It's an American corporation, and this comes largely around its uh, acquisition of Starwood, uh, but uh, two very large proposed fines by the U.K. regulator, showing, I think, a clear intent to aggressively enforce the uh, GDPR 
both for English companies and non-English companies going forward. Um, Jonathan Armstrong and I considered the British Airways fine in um, this week's episode of Life with GDPR. And then um, Kevin LaCroix, uh, fellow U of M law alum, I note for the record, um, who publishes the most excellent DNO diary, uh, looking largely at insurance issues, um, took a look at corporate risk and data protection slash data privacy uh, in the context of uh, insurance. And I thought it was a very interesting and well, uh, well thought out piece. So we've linked to that in the show notes. But uh, clearly this week tells us that uh, GDPR is not only here to stay, but it's going to hurt some companies right in their uh, pocketbook uh, from uh, data breaches. And this was uh, not data privacy issues, but uh, data breaches where, uh, you know, they, they were hacked. So lots of uh, interesting news around GDPR this week, Jay. Hey, Tom. So another thing I wanted to uh, point out that was interesting is uh, Marriott's potential fine represents 2.5% of global turnover, and uh, BA's potential fine is 1.5%. And the uh, GDPR says that you could find up to 4% of their annual revenue. So they've come in on the lower end of the spectrum for their cooperation, but it's still, uh, as you noted, a large dollar figure. Um, next up, we still are kicking around the Walmart settlement, and we have a, a great article that comes to us from Matthew Stevenson from his global anti-corruption blog. And uh, Matthew decides to do a little um, extrapolating and guessing on what happened with the Walmart thing. And a couple points that he makes over is one thing that us uh, FCPA geeks and people who watch DPAs and NPAs need to really keep in mind is that the settlement that you read has been highly negotiated. So there's been a lot of care between the lawyers on each side trying to uh, figure out what the company will and will not admit to. And uh, what tends to happen and what Walmart did here was they admitted to a books and records infraction instead of to the fact that they actually bribed. So that's one thing that he points out. And the other thing he points out, which is near and dear to Mr. Monitor's heart, is the corporate monitor issue. And he hypothesizes that, you know, all this stuff was initially uh, saying in the press that it was going to be settled over two years ago in 2007. And he thinks what may have withdrawn this out was not only trying to see if they could get better terms with the Trump administration, but dealing with that negotiated uh, language. And also what was really negotiated was the scope of the monitor and the length. The monitor is only there for two years as opposed to three and it's really narrowly defined what the um, monitor's purview is. So it's a great piece, and we link to the show notes. And next up, uh, I'm starting a new series on Corporate Compliance Insight, and in my next five blogs, I'm going to take a look at suspension and debarment and how that comes to play into monitoring. monitoring. Uh, this is something that is one of our specialties at Affiliated Monitors, my colleague uh, Rod Grandin is based in D.C., and he was formerly a suspension and debarment office with the Air Force. And in today's, um, rather in this week's article, we have an introduction into suspension and debarment and how it works and why it's used as a remedy. And what tends to happen is that 
suspension and debarment are not civil or criminal matters resulting in a penalty imposed in a party. Instead, they are administrative. And the tools both of suspension and debarment are used by the government to keep a potential um, to, to keep somebody who is actually providing services to the government to really keep them in line. And it's used as a mechanism to make sure that they will comply. So in the coming episodes, we're going to talk about how exactly it works, the difference between suspension and debarment, what is the convergence between the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and suspension and debarment, and then take a look at uh, present responsibility and remedies. So it's a, it's a, a series that I enjoy putting together, and I look forward to sharing it with you in the um, next few weeks. Uh, Tom, we've got something from one of our good friends, Matt Ellis, over at the FCPA, FCPA America's blog. What's Matt thinking about? Matt was uh, at a recent conference where um, the FBI spoke, and he used that as really a starting point to talk about the FBI's expanded efforts into investigating bribery and corruption in Latin America. Uh, there uh, is now a FBI legal attache in Brazil, and the uh, FBI has beefed up their Miami office. Um, he, he put forward several, uh, I think, uh, critical points including that the FBI is prioritizing Latin America, as shown by its anti-corruption squad in uh, Miami, that Latin American companies and individuals are going to be under uh, the microscope. Uh, Certainly U.S. companies will as well. This is really more than just uh, corruption. Uh, They're looking at kleptocracy, money laundering, and trust violations. The uh, FBI's team really has a, a high level of cultural Fluency, as it includes professionals who know the region, speak local languages, and are really familiar how business is done on the ground, and uh, really have a, a, a finger on the pulse of cultural nuance, literally across Latin America. And then finally, uh, and perhaps most significantly, is the close cooperation between other countries in Latin America and the FBI around uh, investigating bribery and corruption. And this has, I think, been a theme for several years now, Jay, starting with Operation uh, Car Wash and the cooperation between uh, Brazilian prosecutors and the American prosecutors. And now you've got cooperation really in the investigative uh, functions of lo- a lot of these countries. That the Odebrecht case blew off the top off of uh, widespread bribery and corruption in Latin America. And I think the countries that have been involved are really uh, moving forward to try to clean up and uh, stop the invidiousness of corruption uh, from literally rotting their their governments from the inside out. So uh, we link to it in the show notes, and uh, you should definitely uh, check it out. Uh, next up, Jay, uh, Henry Engler has written an article that's uh, published in Corporate Compliance Insights about what finance professionals can you guidance they can garner from uh, several of the most well-known recent corporate scandals. And he took a look at uh, uh, Volkswagen, Novartis, and Tenneco. Uh, and he's got some interesting findings. And once again, this is focused on the finance professional. So it may sound uh, simplistic to the uh, compliance professional, but I would ask you to to maybe think about, rethink and revisit this within your own compliance program and how others in your organization may see things. So, 
First up is rules versus norms and driving ethical behavior and an ethical culture. Uh, second is empowerment versus policy-ing. And finally, uh, what's the uh, speak-up culture uh, at your organization? And, and whistleblowing is a key component of that. And if you're in a culture that doesn't really honor or even respect that, it may put you behind the eight ball, uh, certainly uh, around uh, getting a handle on uh, nefarious activities that are going on. I was going to say, uh, Tom has something for us from the banks behaving badly files. So who are we going to talk about this week? Well, we could spend a whole episode on Deutsche Bank this week alone, Jay. Uh, they whacked 20% of their workforce on a worldwide basis. They are under investigation for money laundering. Uh, they've got troubles with uh, branches in Eastern Europe. Uh, and now, to top it off, they are under investigation for their dealings with the Malaysian Sovereign Wealth Fund, the now infamous 1MDB. And uh, it turns out that um, Deutsche Bank was a big loaner and funder of 1MDB. And when uh, 1MDB couldn't get the bond deals done on a quick enough basis, they would just run over to Deutsche Bank and get a loan. And um, the information that was provided to Deutsche Bank to secure these loans has come into question. It's questions of whether Deutsche Bank did sufficient due diligence, whether they did sufficient due diligence and just simply chose to uh, put their head in the sand around the the persons running 1MDB, Jay Lowe, Tim Leisner, and those folks. So, uh, 1MDB continues to percolate along. It continues to grow, and it's now looking like it may drag in Deutsche Bank, which is probably the last thing Deutsche Bank needed to hear this week. I would agree. Uh, next up, we have another article coming to us from Corporate Compliance Insights from Kelvin Dickinson, and it's entitled, In an Age of Increasing M&A Activity, Data Maintenance is the Key to Ensuring Compliance. And With M&A on the rise, a commitment to a strong data management program can help businesses to avoid expensive and often dangerous compliance and risk aggregation missteps. In this article, Kelvin uses the example of uh, Bank of America's acquisition of Merrill Lynch. And just like uh, also in an M&A perspective, when we talk about looking at the corporate culture and looking at the ethics and compliance program of a target, One of the things that uh, Bank of America really neglected to do was to look at the data integrity of those accounts coming over from Merrill Lynch. So it was possible that the information could be siloed and could be out of date. And what, just like we talk about when you're doing an integration and actually before an integration, that you need to actually look at the quality of the data, you need to clean it, and you need to put it in a perspective so you can move forward with it and use it there. So uh, he concludes by saying a commitment to a strong data management program can help businesses avoid expensive and often dangerous compliance and risk aggregation missteps. So we link to that in the show notes. And then uh, another form of liability that we're going to look about, this was kind of hinted at in Matthew Stevens' article earlier, is talking about the different options for DNO liability insurance. Uh, This comes to us from the FCPA blog from... uh, Janaya Mosconi and from Julie DeMauro. And uh, basically, companies can protect their executives from legal expenses and liability 
through indemnification and insurance coverage. Uh, when considering insurance, careful attention must be given to matching the exact insurance products with the riders to the risks sought to be transferred. There are two kinds of general risk that most people, uh, most corporations purchase. One is E&O, error admissions policies, which are used to help protect against claims by clients arising out of professional service provided by the insured. And the second is DNO, which stands for directors and officers. And this is to uh, ensure the organization itself against itself for losses or defense costs. DNO coverage can be added to an ENO policy or purchased separately. The kicker is here that when it comes to the foreign bribery charges, DNO policies do not cover fraudulent criminal or intentional wrongful acts although innocent directives remain fully covered even if the acts of their colleagues were intentional or fraudulent. So she, the authors bring up a real good point that this is something that you need to look at from a risk perspective for your company. You need to decide how much risk appetite you have and then what type of policies are going to be appropriate for the type of uh, organization that we have. So we link to that. So, Tom, last up, uh, we have an article uh, dealing with the Caremark decision, and it's alive and well. So can you tell us how that applies to ice cream and uh, the Harvard Law School block? So for those who may not be familiar with the Caremark decision, Jay, this is the decision by the Delaware Supreme Court that established a duty of uh, each board to uh, oversee a compliance program. Uh, it's been uh, updated a little bit over the years, but it's still the basic decision. And uh, this case involves the Texas icon, Bluebell Ice Cream. And unfortunately, a few years ago, Bluebell got into a, a huge scandal because they allowed bacteria to contaminate ice cream, which uh, caused listeria to form, which was put in ice cream and actually killed consumers of the product. So obviously not good when you're a food product company when you put poisonous food out into the marketplace. But this lawsuit involves a suit against the company's uh, boards of board of director for not properly exercising their caremark duties. And although it is food and food safety, the court's analysis uh, is really something that every compliance practitioner and indeed every board needs to read because they go through and list the deficiencies. Now, the board did have a safety committee or part of a committee that dealt with safety, but the board had um, uh, the safety committee did not address food safety. There was no regular process or protocol requiring management to keep the board apprised of food safety compliance programs at the company. There was no schedule for the board to consider food safety on a regular basis, quarterly, biannually, or even annually. Um, there was, uh, during the key period leading up to the deaths of the customers, there was a report received by the board, which would have at least raised, as the court notes, if not red, certainly yellow flags. And there was um, no evidence that that uh, was taken up by the board. Uh, the board was certainly given favorable uh, information about food safety by management, but not the reports that presented a different picture. And finally, the board meetings uh, minutes showed there was uh, completely devoid of any suggestion. There was a regular discussion of food safety issues. 
Now, one might think food safety issues would be relatively low on a board's scale, but Jay, this is where the risk-based approach articulated by the Department of Justice around the FCPA uh, comes into play. If your product is food, your risk is food safety. And that means you need to uh, measure, manage, and uh, um, your food safety risk. And the court even called it out, a food safety risk management compliance program. So, um, or food safety compliance program. So, uh, it clearly uh, is applicable in our anti-corruption compliance world. And it's a re-emphasis by the Delaware uh, Supreme Court that the Caremark decision is alive and well. And if companies are not looking at uh, compliance data, they are uh, in grave danger of not only violating Caremark, but uh, being held civilly liable in Delaware in uh, suits against officers and directors. So a very interesting decision. Um, I think very important decision for the uh, compliance professional going forward. So would I be right to... um extrapolate that if I was a company involved in the transmission of electric power, like Pacific Gas and Electric, and if I knew my wires and towers were faulty, some of them hadn't been repaired over 100 years, and I knew that they could potentially start a fire, would I not be uh, doing my board duty by having oversight and taking the proper uh, precautions not to burn down an entire town in Southern California? Well, uh, Certainly, that would never happen because that example is just so outrageous. And no doubt, due to your recovering screenwriter mindset of fiction, because I can't, I can't imagine any corporation ever doing that. But in the in the uh, Hollywood world of movies that you live in, you know, to make a great story. But you're absolutely right. Uh, <clears throat> whatever your risk is, that needs to be addressed in an oversight capacity by the board of directors. Doesn't mean you have to get out there and go up on the towers to see the situation, but you darn well better be aware of what those risks are, what the company is doing to manage those risks, and what the compliance practice is around all of that. So it's spot on. So uh, going into the entertainment part of our podcast, uh, it's the summer and you are trekking through compliance. Are there any episodes of the TOS, the originals? series that you'd like to point out to our listeners? So I have to say, Jay, that Journey to Babel has always been one of my favorites. It's the one that introduced Spock's parents. Um, uh, Jane Wyatt, who played his mother, uh, she was actually Ronald Reagan's first wife. So that's how far back into Hollywood this show goes. Um, but uh, Sarak, Spock's, uh, uh, Spock's father, uh, it's a great role. And uh, Sarak uh, reprises that role uh, up through uh, the next generation, Mark Leonard, the actor who plays him, uh, that was probably my favorite this week. But uh, a lot of interesting uh, compliance lessons, uh, lessons learned. So I hope you'll uh, check out Trekking Through Compliance. And uh, as a little bit of a teaser uh, for those listening uh, on Friday or Saturday, Sunday will be the all-time Trek favorite episode, "The Trouble with Tribbles." So we're uh, more than halfway through our exploration of the original series. Uh, Today was episode 42, I believe. There's 79 episodes. Um, Ben Lockwin and I are actually planning a special uh, series in August on uh, the science of Star Trek. Uh, So we're going to really see what themes we can tease out, Jay. And uh, as uh, 
as you know, I've had a ton of fun doing it, and I hope uh, our listeners are enjoying it as well. That's awesome. And so another entertainment-themed podcast that uh, Tom and I had dropped this morning is we have our latest episode of Popcorn and Compliance. And together with either a half-full or half-empty uh, popcorn uh, bucket, Tom and I look at the recently released Pixar Disney animation film Toy Story 4. So that's online now. Uh, give it a listen, and you can listen to some of the uh, compliance lessons that we draw from the movie and uh, how we like it or not. And next coming up, uh, Spidey will swing into town, and we will tape something within the coming week. So, uh, Tom, any webinars or podcasts that we should uh, share with our listeners? Yeah, I'm doing a webinar with uh, Jonathan Marks, uh, Sean Friedland over at Hanzo, who is uh, getting back from his honeymoon this weekend. Uh, congratulations, Sean. Um, is uh, hosting us next Wednesday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, compliance research trends and enforcement uh, actions from Q2. We've got some interesting uh, research we're going to talk about. Obviously, the uh, uh, 2019 Guidance Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, but also the OFAC uh, Framework for Trade Sanctions Compliance. Uh, we're going to talk about all of these things. So um, it'll be a very informative seminar. We put together, uh, Sean and I put together a really nice little white paper summarizing uh, kind of where we uh, ended up in uh, the end of Q2. So I hope you'll check it out. We've linked to registration uh, in the show notes. The uh, It's uh, no cost for the webinar. So I uh, hope you'll join Jonathan, uh, myself, and Sean. So I think we, it's, we can wrap this episode up with a bow on behalf of Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, and myself, Jay Rose, and Mr. Monitor. We'd like to thank you for joining us for episode 162 for the week ending July 12, 2019, the Halfway to Take It Back edition. Thanks so much for listening, and have a wonderful weekend. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions on this episode, you can email Jay at jrosen at affiliatedmonitors.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you'll join us again next week when Jay and I explore next week's top compliance and ethics stories. I also hope you will check out Popcorn and Compliance, where Jay and I took a look at Toy Story 4 through the eyes of a compliance professional. This Week in FCPA is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thank you again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.